Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Before we get into um, Reach Series again, I want to talk about the Herne Bay Hub. The Herne Bay Hub. Think way back to March 2020, pre-COVID. We shared a vision to extend uh, our church family down the coastlands and into Herne Bay. And we started to talk to um, the guys at Briary School, Briary Primary School, about holding a monthly event there. Uh, we were going to transfer our very successful Lego club that was, we were holding in Herne Bay across into the school um, and then basically begin to bless and serve the communities around that area. And our vision was to, uh, what well, a nutshell, to do this, to create a relational environment to bring God's love to the people in that community. Well, the great news is we've reconnected with uh, Briary School. We went down to see them uh, a little while ago, and they were still very keen for us to be, uh, be there, to work with them in supporting the community. So Herne Bay Hub is back on. Okay, I know you're excited. Now, in case you don't know where the school is, here's a bit of a Google map. Um, Riverside is the blue blob over here, and the school is here. So you can see a little bit of distance between us. Um, the great thing about this school is it serves this very large estate in Greenhill, which hasn't got a lot of community provision, um, uh, apart from what the school does. There's a very small uh, Anglican church in there, but not a lot of community provision at all. And we really feel led to, to basically have an expression of Riverside in that area to really bless and serve those people. We had a conversation with the business manager in the school and she thought that we were just going to take Riverside people and stick them in the school. We said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. We're going to basically serve the people that you serve. We're going to reach the community that you reach and we're going to try and bless and support the families and kids that you already work with. We've done work with the flows there the, and um, we've uh, actually... How, how many presents... Sean's going to come and say in a minute. How many, how many presents did we do last year into that school, Sean? And hampers? Ten Christmas hampers and a number of presents went into that school for families. And Pantry Project as well. So we worked really hard with them. And then she goes, ah, it's you. <laughs> it's you guys. And the penny dropped and the connection deepened. So we're really excited about Herne Bay Hub. I want to just tell you a few bits about it, what we plan to do. Um, we plan it to be a monthly event on a Sunday. So the same time we're meeting here, once a month there'll be an event happening in Herne Bay, uh, in that school. I've got a vision to link the two places up by video. And do you all, any of you watch Anton Deck Saturday Night Live? Yeah. Three, two, one, go. That's my vision to go live to Herne Bay Hub and basically have, chat, uh, have Sean wandering around with the camera, basically showing the guys that are here what's happening down in that, uh, in that place on the Sunday to try and make those two places feel really connected uh, and involved. So, so a monthly event on a Sunday morning, uh, that's what we plan to do. There'll be um, different activities for families, as we said. We're not trying to create a service down there like this. We're trying to create a relational environment where you can really touch and serve the lives of the families down there. So in a similar way that Lego Club is really successful uh, in actually getting families and carers out into a place where they could feel connected and supported. Well, we hope to do a number of different activities down there on a Sunday morning, fun activities, food, a way of actually connecting and serving those families down there. And at the end of each Sunday morning, there will be some spiritual content as well, 
which we'll be very clear about when we start the Herne Bay Hub. And if the families want to stick around for that, they can do as well. So we'll, we'll, be, we'll be sharing the gospel in very practical ways, but also in very clear ways as well. Um, just to say, it's not going to be a separate church. We don't plan to plant this into a separate church. It really is a connection, part of our coastal vision to really extend and bless and reach a whole new community and serve them down in the Herne Bay area. And we really want to work hard to partner with the school uh, to really help them and to reprofile. It's a great little school down there. We want to reprofile them and serve them uh, and connect with them and work hand in hand to really bless that community. So as I said, we've done a lot already with Pantry, with the Christmas Hamper Project uh, as well. And we plan to go even bigger this year um, with that. So it's a great connection. And what I love about something like this is when you come to an established church like Riverside, it can feel like a lot's already been done. What this does, it puts us back into a very missional context to say there's a lot to be done. And any of you can connect with this uh, and, uh, and work with the Herne Bay Hub. And Sean's going to tell, come and tell you a little bit of how you can get involved uh, and what we plan to do going forward. And it's Sean's birthday, so let's wish him a happy birthday. Thank you. Yeah, yeah we're really, really excited about this now. Was, no, we were just on the cusp back in March 2020, and then everything happened. But we're, yeah, we're really excited about this happening. And what we're really looking for is some people to come on board with us, like a core team that would ideally be able to commit to, to once a month. We've got this notion of what it would look like with different activities. We want to work with people that you know, have got an ideas around that. We'd like to craft activities, some activities for families to do. There will be, I think, Lego there as well. Um, and also, I suppose, one of the blessings with it not happening and so during lockdown is we were actually successful in getting a grant as well. So we've got about a £2,500 grant to help us set this up and to equip us to do that from a foundation. So we haven't spent that because we want to work with people to be able to come on board with us on that. So if while Simon's been talking, it's stirring you to become involved, do come and talk to Jackie and I. Please pray about it. Even if you don't feel stirred to be part of it, please pray for us as we look to set this up and that hearts and minds have been softened by the families um, even now. So the first session will be on the 4th of December. So we're going to start hopefully with a big Christmas one and obviously it's a really good one in terms of the theme and then as Simon said after that we will have something every month where there will be I think a Christian focus. It might be something like Fruits of the Spirit or something like that to sort of work through to engage the families. We want to have like a prayer tree for people to put prayer requests on, which will be quite clear. We will pray for those requests at the end. Again, people will be welcome to stay or not. So we've got lots of different ideas of how it could work. But we'd really like a core team, I think probably about six to eight people to start off with to help us in terms of leading that um, and maybe sort of ideally taking the lead in terms of that aspect of the day. So if that is you or you, think, or you want to ask some questions while you're thinking and praying about it, do come and talk to, to Jackie and I. Um, what we'll then do is I think in early, probably early September we'll, we'll have a gathering together to talk about in a bit more detail, build the vision together, decide what we need to in order to make it happen with this grant that we've got, but 
um, and also getting out to the families. So, yeah, can't wait. Thank you, Sean. Thank you. We really feel like the, the favour has actually grown between us and the school. Uh, we were a bit concerned going back where that might have waned because of the period of time that's gone by and the impact of COVID. But actually going back and talking to them is a real deepening favour. They see us as a church that does what it says it's going to do, actually really does demonstrate good news in very practical ways. And, and so our reputation in places like Briar is very good. And so it gives us a great opportunity to go into there and serve. And some of those families that we have served with pantry and with Christmas hampers and things will be maybe some of the families that connect into the hub activities and what we do. So we're really excited about, about that. And it gives us a chance to extend our reach. Our whole series is about reach and extend our reach further along the coastlands and bless communities that don't have a lot of provision and may not ever make the transition to come to somewhere like Riverside. So um, really excited. So a chance for all of us to be connected missionally with what God's doing and where he's working. So yeah, please do pray about that. Uh, we used to love going to Lego Club. It was a fantastic opportunity, a very easy space and place to chat to people um, and come alongside them. So we're creating the same relational environment with the Herne Bay Hub. So, um, yeah, see Sean and Jackie if you're interested in that. And once we set the whole thing up and we're, going, we're running with it, there'll be opportunities for everyone to go along and get involved and connected. You might not feel like you're a pioneer, but you may want to get on board as it takes more shape. So uh, the opportunity to be there as well to do that. Okay, so we're continuing with our series, Reach. We're looking at God's kingdom plan to touch the whole earth with the good news of the gospel. And we've talked about being the good news, and we talked a little bit last night about part, last week about last night last week about partnering with the good news, how we allow that yeast of the kingdom to work through us and help transform us, and give us the grace to be the good news to those around us. Today, I want to explore a little bit about how we communicate the good news. How do we tell people the good news? Uh, our good friend, uh, Dr. Steve Burnhope, who some of you may have heard during the All One series, he's just published a, a new book. It's called Telling the Old, Old Story in a Postmodern World. And it's a really nice little slim book, a really easy read. Uh, Steve's passionate about how we communicate the gospel in a modern context. How do we, ta- we take this old, old story of Jesus and how do we tell it in a modern context in a meaningful way? The gospel is unchanging, but the way we communicate it has to, has to change and contextualise with uh, where we find ourselves in history. And so this is only 379, which you can pick up on Amazon if you want to, want to read it. It's a great book. I'll be dipping into some of it today uh, during this talk. But if you want a fuller explanation of some of the things I'll be talking about, you'll find a lot of stuff in this book. It's well, well worth a read. Well, the first thing to recognise when we think about telling someone the gospel, telling someone the good news, the first thing to come away with is there isn't just one way. Sometimes as Christians we get hung up on what, what's the formula, what's the, uh, what's the prayer, what's the, uh, what's the thing I have to say to make sure I'm communicating the gospel correctly to somebody. We've got, we, tend, we tend to get a bit paralysed with worrying that we'll say the wrong thing, or we won't say, or we'll leave something out. And so someone kind of won't fully find their way to Jesus or won't fully encounter the good news of the gospel. But the thing is, guys, that Jesus doesn't anywhere in the Gospels, give you a one-line statement of the Gospel. Okay, you can read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but you won't find anywhere in them 
a one-line statement of this is the gospel. There's no single overarching definition anywhere in scripture that says this is what you have to tell somebody, this thing here. And as a result of this, well-meaning evangelicals over the years have thought, well, we need to get this down. And so they've come up with things like the four spiritual laws, you know, sort of steps that people have to hear or have to know to basically make sure that they get the gospel. So I'll take a few select Bible texts and I'll bolt them together and I'll come up with a, this is what you have to tell somebody if you're going to tell them the gospel. But this is unfortunately quite reductionist. It kind of renders the gospel down a little bit into a kind of a, almost like a double glazing deal. Like renders it down. Apologies to anybody who works in double glazing, but it's almost like we've, we render it down into these steps. It's almost like contractual. You know, if you do this, 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 and this, sign the line, basically you're in. You know, you, you, you've now received Jesus. It's quite reductionist. Even things like saying that we're born again, born again Christians. I got so much flack when I first started following Jesus. Are you one of those born again Christians? A lot of flack. Uh, I blame Cliff Richard, but um, um, a, lo- a lot of flack about, about being born again. Because for some reason it became front and center in the gospel. But actually, Jesus only says this to one person at one time in one gospel. It's a conversation with one person about this idea that somehow we're born again. But things like that can become very front and centre when we're trying to communicate the gospel. And that can be quite confusing for people if they're abstract concepts they find difficult to understand. So I would suggest if you're going to lead with telling someone the good news, you don't lead with telling them they need to be born again. Because straight away they'll think of Cliff Richard and they'll lose their way. (laughs) Because at a period in time, you know, to be born again, to be a born-again Christian meant you were a modern Christian, you were a charismatic Christian, you were a happening Christian. But really, it's a very abstract concept that Jesus only talked about once in the Gospels. So what I'm trying to say is when we think about telling someone the Gospel, I think we need to have a much bigger understanding of what the Gospel is rather than a reductionist view that's actually... If you say these four things or you you say this prayer, X, Y, and Z, you're in. You need a much bigger understanding of the nature of the gospel, particularly the kingdom of God, because this is what Jesus mainly announced. He came as an inaugurator and announcer of the kingdom. God's in the process of renewing and reconciling all things. And you can be personally swept up into this big story, which is the God story. And so having this bigger understanding of the gospel is really helpful when we come to try and communicate the gospel to people because there's not just one way. There's not one way to tell someone around Jesus. In the very first chapter of Mark's gospel, it says this, the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And then infuriatingly, Mark never tells us what the good news of Jesus is in one line. All he does is he writes words and words and words and words that describe all the things that Jesus did and said. Because this is the good news of Jesus. The good news of Jesus, all the ways that Jesus interacted and connected and ministered to people. Mark never gives us a one-line definition in his gospel anywhere to say, this is the gospel and this is how you need 
to tell people about it. So when we look at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we've already talked about how these are the eyewitness accounts of these people looking at the life of Jesus and deciding this really was good news. This really was good news. This really was the Gospel. What Jesus was doing and saying and how he was acting really was good news. And so when you and I read the Gospels, we're looking for all the ways that Jesus was good news to people, for all the ways that he connected and interacted. We're looking for the good news throughout the gospel stories. We're not looking for a definition of the gospel. We're looking for all the different ways that Jesus was good news to the people because that's what the gospels describe. The gospels describe all the good news in the ways that Jesus interacted. And we talked about, didn't we, about partnering with the good news last week, how can we partner with it? And one of the great ways we can do that is to read and reread the Gospels. Because the more familiar you are with the Gospels, not from a Bible study perspective, but the more familiar you are with all the different ways that Jesus connected and interacted with people, the more you understand the good news. Because you've got more and more and more patterns for how Jesus connected and demonstrated the good news. So if we can read them, and reread them and become more familiar with them, then we have kind of a, a pattern in our head and think, well, actually, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus be towards this person? What do I know about the way he interacted with the marginalised or those who felt judged or those who felt disenfranchised or, or the rich people or the powerful? How did he interact with those people? And you get all these different patterns of how the good news was good news to different people. Because you can see the way that Jesus explained and demonstrated the good news in all these myriad of different ways when he connected with different people. And so when you and I are reading the Gospels, we need to be watching out for the good news stories all the time. What's the good news in this passage that Jesus is bringing to this particular person? So when you read about the, the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, Jesus resting in the noonday sun, and the Samaritan woman comes to draw water. How was Jesus good news to that woman? At that time, you can read for yourself in John 4. How was Jesus good news for the criminal who was crucified alongside him? How was Jesus good news when he told the story of the prodigal son? How was Jesus good news when he told the parable of the lost sheep? Throughout the Gospels, whether Jesus is ministering, talking, telling a story, where is the good news throughout these Gospel accounts? And that helps us prevent this reductionism that we've had in church about actually saying it all comes down to this deal or these few words or this thing because the gospel expanse is massive. The kingdom is an expanding and reaching kingdom. And we get drawn into this huge narrative. It's like being caught in a tornado, swept up into the, into the power and the expanse and the impact of the kingdom and the gospel. So all the time we're reading the gospel, we're not doing Bible study we're not doing theology. We're trying to see where is Jesus good news for people. So when Jesus welcomes someone, he's good news. When he's being kind to someone, he's been good news. When he's reaching out to the poor and the marginalised, he's demonstrating good news. When he's offering forgiveness and reconciliation, he's being good news. And even when he's challenging the religious authorities, he's being good news. He's bringing his good news to challenge the bad news that the religiosity of the Pharisees was bringing to the people. 
So I want to encourage you guys, if, you, if you're tired of Bible study, if you're tired of Bible reading, I want to encourage you to get back into your Gospels and read them through the lens of the good news of Jesus. Because they were written for that reason. They were written to tell the good news story. They weren't written for Bible study. They weren't even written to be spoken about in places like this. They were written for good news. And those guys thought this news is good enough that it has to be written down and recorded so other people can read it and say this really is good news. So let's, let's broaden our thinking around what the good news is and how we tell people about it. But if you want to tell someone the good news, how do you do without telling them all 82,000 words of the Gospels? Or tell them just to go away and read them and come back when they've done it? How do, you, how do we begin to, to communicate maybe an essence of what's within those Gospels? Well, the first thing I want to say today is that your story is powerful. Your personal story is powerful. It doesn't matter how much you think it's not powerful. Maybe you think it's not dramatic enough or there's not enough in it. Your story is really, really powerful. And it's powerful because of one main reason at this time. We live in a postmodern age. Okay, We live in a postmodern age. Very quickly, there's been three major world eras. It started with the ancient world. The ancient world era, which lasted up to about the 1500s, give or take. And then... After the ancient era came the modern era, the enlightenment, the hope of technology and invention would be our salvation, and uh, that lasted around about the 1950s, around the end of World War II. And after that came the postmodern age, postmodernity, the age after modernity. And there's still some overlap between the modern age and the postmodern age. If you were born around 1980 onwards, you're a you're a postmodern. Before that, you're probably more modern in your thinking, but there's a high degree of overlap, and I'm not going to label you today. But the ideas and concepts and frameworks that we relied upon in the modern age to communicate the gospel, they really don't work so well anymore. They really don't work so well in a postmodern age. And that's because in the past, the way the gospel was communicated was in reasoned apologetic arguments. There were books, lots of books written that were basically systematic in their way of proving that Jesus was real, that God was real, the gospel was kind of what it said it was, and they would bolt these things together in almost like a mechanised way because that's the way we thought more in the modern age. The modern age was the age of reason and science and, and mechanics and invention, and so... If you're a part of that age, you, you, that's the way you think it should work. Why can't we just tell people the gospel, bing, bash, bosh, and that's it. Reasoned argument will get the job done. And most of what we were taught or we read back in those ages was, was mechanical. It all kind of flowed scientifically. And that's part of that appeals to me because I love that. I love the fact you can say 2 plus 2 equals 4 and bolt it all together. And here's the rationale behind this. But a lot of Christian books in that age or frameworks, they were systemized proofs of the gospel. The issue we have now is people in a postmodern age don't think the same way. They don't approach the world in the same way. They're skeptical of systems, they're skeptical of authority, with every reason to be. They're, skept <laughs> they're skeptical about organizations and pre formulated ideas and sort of simple answers to complex questions. They tend to be suspicious. 
They tend to, to, to want more mystery, more open-endedness, more, more chance for reflection and question. They're also well-known for being uncomfortable with, with any kind of absolute truth. Any announcement that this is, the, this is it, this is, the, this is the absolute truth. Your truth isn't necessarily my truth. There's no absolute truth anymore. And on the surface of all this, you can feel like we've got a real problem here, haven't we? A postmodern age, how do we communicate the truth of the gospel? Well, actually, I don't think we have got a problem. Because if we think about it for a moment, even though we worship a God of absolute truth, not one person in this room actually has absolute truth, revelation or understanding. We all have a personal perspective of God's absolute truth. We all carry a little bit of that truth that we carry in our testimony and our story. Not one of us here comprehends God completely. Amen? Not one of us fully sees God as he really is. We all have these wonderful, diverse, personal experiences and testimonies of the truth that is found in Jesus and found in God. And that's what makes your story and my story so powerful in a postmodern age. Because you can communicate and contextualise your experience of God's love and truth in your life to somebody else. You can communicate with them in a non-threatening way how God has worked in your life and in your story. Because if you think about it, you've got four Gospels that are four personal accounts of the life of Jesus. Yeah? Yeah. (laughs) That's what you've got. You haven't got four theological frameworks. You haven't got four books that came down from heaven as four study books or, or four books that sit on my shelf uh, as basically concordances, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. You've got four personal accounts of the life of Jesus. And your account is number five. You're the fifth gospel, if you like, in terms of the account of the good news of Jesus working in your life. And the wonderful thing about your story is it's personal, it's unique, and it gives opportunity to create space and context for reflection and discussion. And dare I say, you don't have to have all the answers. In the age of modernity, if you didn't have the answer, well, that was weak. You should be able to find a proof text or a proof verse or a systemized argument to knock down anything that comes against the gospel. And so Christians were terrified of not, what if they ask me about this? Would all the animals fit in the ark? What am I supposed to say? And they were terrified of not having the right answer or being caught on the back foot. But in an age of post-modernity, people aren't looking for finite answers. They're looking for relationship and and discussion and, dare I say, some of the mystery and open-endedness that Jesus left in the Gospels. If you read the Gospels, time and time again, you don't get the Hollywood ending to a story. Did the older brother ever go back into the party for the prodigal son? (laughs) Jesus didn't tell us. He just left us hanging. He left us hanging. Over and over again throughout the life of Jesus, he just presents the mystery and the invitation and the breadth of the gospel. And so we don't have to get it all chopped up and and defined and have all the answers and think that we're going to be somehow found out if we haven't. We have to get comfortable with saying, I don't know. I simply don't know. Let's, let's, let's just journey that together. Will animals get into heaven? I don't know. 
Now I could theologically go through, well, you know, da -da 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 But if someone's cat's just died and they're really upset, that wouldn't be the right approach, would it? I'd just say, I really don't know, let's just, let's just let's find some comfort in, you know. But we've got so, in modernity, we've got so hooked on having the answers and, and buttoning it all down. Post-modernity gives us this lovely opportunity to present the gospel again through our own story and create space for discussion and reflection and getting comfortable with the unknowns and the don't knows because I'll tell you a little secret, we never knew. <laughs> we never knew all the answers. We could have pretended we did, but we never knew. We don't know what heaven's going to be like. We don't know what hell is. We don't know. And we have to be comfortable with the not knowing and be able to talk about it because it's a much healthier framework when we're communicating the mystery and the wonder that's found in Jesus. And so your story and my story gives us an opportunity to open up a fresh conversation with someone about faith and about the wonder and mystery of the good news of the gospel. And we can point to the work of Jesus in our lives and say, this is how it, this is how it works for me. This is how Jesus has been working in my life. Not pretending we've got all the answers because that really does switch people off. Life is complex and nuanced and difficult and random. And it's, it's got all, the older we get, the more we realise that, don't we? Uh, and if we're presenting pat answers to really complex and difficult situations, then people just won't feel supported or loved or even heard. But if you can say, this is how Jesus worked or comforted me. This is how I felt. This is what my dark night of the soul looked like. This is how, and all these things, we can journey with people in a much more effective way. A link to that, I'm passionate about this, can you tell? I'm really passionate about this because the, 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 um, the church has just so been paralysed by not having the right answer and, and, and thinking it somehow can not share the gospel properly. Your story is so powerful. Your experiences are so powerful, so please use them. We can use different imagery. The Bible is full of different imagery. Um, throughout the Bible, you see all these different images describing the nature of the gospel and the reconciliation that God brings. There's covenant imagery which talks about the nature of the old covenant, the new covenant, the new promise. We celebrate communion. We experience that new covenantal promise. The slave market imagery being redeemed and restored and bought at a price. There's legal imagery about you're now justified before God as if you're in a court of law. There's battlefield imagery about cosmic powers doing battle in the heavenlies. There's all these different imageries that we find in the Bible. And it's helpful to have a bit of an understanding about all the different ones that are there. It's like different doors into the same house, in a sense, as we find these described and outlined in the scripture. The key thing is, in a postmodern context, some of these don't fly as well when we're trying to communicate the gospel. The idea of an ancient world covenant between a, a, a vassal king and a people is somehow lost on a lot of people now because we don't experience that in modern context. Slave market imagery. We aren't too familiar with slave markets. We may be familiar with, with <coughs> modern slavery, but the idea of you being a slave and being bought, again, can be a difficult concept. Legal imagery, well, maybe so, but cosmic battles in the heavenlies. From the Enlightenment in the sort of 1600s, people tended to debunk any kind of idea that if you couldn't touch it, it wasn't real, it didn't exist. So if you're talking to someone who's come out of that kind of modernity and understanding, the idea of trying to say there's angels and demons battling in the heavens, isn't that great? They might think, obviously you're on the juice last night and you basically, you, you know, you, what on earth is this about? Some of these concepts are harder 
to get across to people than others when we're telling people the good news. So we may need to think about what are we leading with? What are we, what are we bringing to someone? What can they receive at this time? But we've got, again, we've got a great way to explain things like sin differently. A very Christian and religious word, but actually we've said many times that sin is a life turned inward. Turning away from God means that we tend to turn inwards and become selfish people. And selfishness is a very easy concept to understand rather than saying we're sinful people. Repentance in the, in the modern age is like you just basically say a prayer, you repent, ask to tell God you're sorry, job done. But actually repentance in the Gospels is, is a turning around of a life, a change of direction, a change of mindset. We can reframe and recapture some of these things. It's actually God's in the process of turning lives around. You can be creative in how you invite people into the good news building of God, into God's house. There's many different doors, many different ways in. And you can think about what's the appropriate one I want to use today with this person. What would help them understand God's love better? Guilt doesn't work anymore. Guilt doesn't work anymore. Historically, we had a guilt-based culture in the West because most people went to church when they were young or they were exposed to Christian teaching when they were in school. And as they walked away from that, when they got older, they had this inherent sense of latent guilt. You know, they felt that actually they'd been told about God, but they weren't following God, so they felt a little bit guilty. So an evangelist's job was to tap into that and make them feel even more guilty <laughs> and use that guilt lever to bring them into the kingdom, you know? Yeah? Many successful preachers use that very effectively as a tool when sharing the gospel. But guilt no longer works, and I'm quite happy about that, because we no longer have a society that feels guilt anymore. Going, going, gone. You know, we don't have people who feel inherently guilty, and I think that's a good thing. We don't have a society that struggles with guilt, but we have a society that struggles with anxiety. And also struggles with shame. There's different things going on in the life of people now. The modern age was an age of discovery and certainty. Now we're in this postmodern age where everything seems to be up in the air. As a young person, you can look on the internet and look across the whole globe and just see bad news, bad news, bad news, bad news, and be exposed to it 24-7. There's anxiety in our nation. There's anxiety in our society. But there's also shame because social media has meant that we are being judged 24-7. We are being looked at and observed and judged and included or not included, cancelled. There's shame present in our society too. In a New York Times article by a guy called David Brooks, he wrote The Shame Culture. He wrote this. Um, he says, in a guilt culture, you know you are good or bad by what your conscience feels. In a shame culture, you know you're good or bad by what your community says about you, by whether it honours you or excludes you. In a guilt culture, people sometimes feel they do bad things in a shame culture, social exclusion makes people feel they are bad. The omnipresence of social media has created a new sort of shame culture. The world of Facebook, Instagram and the rest is a world of constant display and observation. The desire to be embraced and praised by the community is intense. People dread being exiled and condemned. Moral life is not built by the continu- on the continuum of right and wrong. It's built on the continuum of inclusion and exclusion. We're living in a very different world. A world of anxiety and shame. But the gospel speaks directly into those things. The gospel speaks directly into 
you know, f finding peace, finding security, finding real identity, finding the love of God that can't be taken away from you. You can't be cancelled. This fear of ex exclusion. We can speak into the fear of isolation that most people feel. We can speak about the, the business of God that's in restoring relationships and reconnecting people together. Great opportunity. So quickly, guys, just to recap. There isn't just one way. Your personal story is incredibly, incredibly powerful when it comes to communicating the good news of the gospel. There's all sorts of different doors into the house of God. Don't get stuck on one. What's the one that works in this particular situation for this particular person? Because once they're in the house, they can spend the rest of their life walking around it and enjoying it and discovering more about who God is. Guilt doesn't work. We can't guilt people into the kingdom by telling them they're sinful. We all know we all fall short of the glory of God. And having an understanding of that is really important as we journey in Christ. But we don't lead with it. We don't lead by making people feel guilty. Christians have really struggled to know the right formula. And so we get hung up on that. But we, hopefully the good news we're seeing is expansive. And we shouldn't try and redact it down into these three or four pithy statements that we can say to somebody. John Mark Comer commented recently, we place too much emphasis on transaction rather than transformation. We try and get the deal done rather than thinking about actually it's the transforming process of a lifetime in Christ that's really important to focus on. So we're not so interested about leading someone just to Jesus and saying bye-bye. We're, we're trying to journey them with Jesus for the rest of their life. And we have a great opportunity in this age, I think, post-modernity, to reframe and reshape how we carry and tell the good news. We don't have to use outdated methods. The story is the same. But we think about how can we get that story across to people in the best way. Should we stand together, guys? I'm literally on 12. So let's stand, and if you're able, and, um, and let's just pray for a moment. Lord, we just thank you for the, the, the beautiful breadth of the gospel um, that's represented in the gospels, God, and in our own lives, Jesus. And uh, I pray, Father, for a real freedom and release from the fear of getting it wrong, from the fear of saying the wrong thing, from the fear of missing something out. <coughs> God, would you help us to, to be people who are the gospel, who carry the gospel in our own lives, and uh, help us to see how much bigger you are, Jesus. How much greater is your love? How much wider is your reach? That we can be part of that, of that reach, God. Just naturally and normally and beautifully expressing the good news to the people around us. And I pray for opportunities for all of us, God, in the weeks ahead, to just be the good news to people in our lives. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.